The first of my posts to the Facebook group about the Nightingale and the Rose was called On Sad Endings. Someone in our group commented on how beautiful he found this story, but added, I hope there are stories that have happy endings on your list. There are, but truthfully, a great many of my favorites don't. I think the basic reason for that is fairly straightforward. I love literature in which characters take moral values seriously. Most great authors throughout history have held that taking moral values seriously is at odds with worldly success. Therefore, sad endings. But the fact is, and I feel confident that the commenter would agree, even for those of us who read literature as part of a quest to ourselves achieve worldly happiness, there is insight and value and joy to be derived from classic stories with sad endings. So, when it comes to great literature, even sad endings make me happy. Through my tears and my pauses and my pain, happy. There's so much about the nightingale and the rose that makes me happy. I don't mean to keep harping on this ironic juxtaposition, but the fact that it had the power to make me so sad makes me happy. Part of that is sheer meta-level marveling at Oscar Wilde's power to devastate me with an eight-page story about a bird. He made me fall in love with the nightingale from her first expression of unapologetic idealism. Quote, here at last is a true lover. Night after night have I sung of him, though I knew him not. Night after night have I told his story to the stars, and now I see him." Unquote. He made my heart ache as the nightingale sang of love, pressing her breast closer and closer against the thorn. And he stunned me with a feeling of devastated betrayal when the red rose, the token of devoted love for which she had given her life, was tossed into the gutter and run over by a cartwheel. Though it is not the essential element of my enjoyment, I do enjoy standing in awe at the story's artistry. I also love Wilde's efficient and incisive parodies of the academic who thinks that everything important about life can be learned from a soulless consumption of books. Quote, in fact, love is quite unpractical, and, as in this age, to be practical is everything, I shall go back to philosophy and study metaphysics. Unquote. Of the shallow materialist, who measures a man by the buckles on his shoes and love by the price of its token. Quote, I am afraid it will not go with my dress, she answered. And besides, the Chamberlain's nephew has sent me some real jewels, and everybody knows that jewels cost far more than flowers." Unquote. Of the critic, who resorts to evaluative bromides and is himself unable to meaningfully connect with art. Quote, she has form, he said to himself, as he walked away through the grove. That cannot be denied to her. But has she got feeling? I'm afraid not. In fact, she is like most artists. She is all style, without any sincerity." Unquote. And of the cynic and the Philistine, who dismiss sacred values with a cavalier incredulity. Quote, he is weeping for a red rose, said the nightingale. For a red rose, they cried, how very ridiculous! And the little lizard, who was something of a cynic, laughed outright.
unquote. I was also moved by the poetry of this story. Countless lines could be dwelled upon and read like music. Quote, if you want a red rose, said the tree, you must build it out of music by moonlight and stain it with your own heart's blood. Unquote. Quote, Love is wiser than philosophy, though she is wise, and mightier than power, though he is mighty. Flame-colored are his wings, and colored like flame is his body. His lips are sweet as honey, and his breath is like frankincense. Unquote. Quote, then she gave one last burst of music. The white moon heard it, and she forgot the dawn, and lingered on in the sky. The red rose heard it, and trembled all over with ecstasy, and opened its petals to the cold morning air. Echo bore it to her purple cavern in the hills, and woke the sleeping shepherds from their dreams. It floated through the reeds of the river, and they carried its message to the sea. Unquote. Most of all, I love the call to contemplate the meaning of true love, and the translation of Wilde's own view of love into a heart-wrenchingly concretized image. In this story, the false lover is portrayed as either soulless and academic, believing love is not half as useful as logic, equating beauty with long Latin names, and scorning love in favor of a great dusty book, or shallow and materialistic, bartering love for tokens of affection, and measuring the value of the token by its monetary worth. True love is a self-sacrificial devotion. Quote, the love that is perfected by death. The love that dies not in the tomb. Unquote. And that vision is captured with the image of a noble idealist, guilelessly incapable of doubting the sincerity of an expression of love, willing to sacrifice a life she loves to see true love realized and a world around her that scorns her gesture. Quote, but the nightingale's voice grew fainter, and her little wings began to beat, and a film came over her eyes. Fainter and fainter grew her song, and she felt something choking in her throat. Look, look, cried the tree, the rose is finished now. But the nightingale made no answer, for she was lying dead in the long grass, with the thorn in her heart." Unquote. We can all use Wilde's inspiration to craft our own visions of true love, perhaps with happier endings. The next of my posts was called The Plight of the Artist. Though The Nightingale and the Rose presents an image of the true lover, part of me wonders whether it is fundamentally about the plight of the artist and whether Wilde was expressing his own frustration about that plight. From the start, the Nightingale is presented as the real artist, who conveys all the beauty of sincere and devoted love in her song. The butterfly, flower, and lizard can't relate to her. They see anguish over love as silly theatrics, while she sees it as the expression of everything she holds most dear. The student is unworthy of her, his anguish is mere adolescent posturing, and he is incapable of hearing love's true expression in her song. I have to imagine that Wilde sees himself in the nightingale, the artist who sings, or writes, 
of sacred values to a public who does not understand him and who watches the product that issued from his heart tossed into the gutter. Whether or not this is biographically true of Wilde, and I don't know, I imagine many artists can identify with the nobly idealistic and tragically unappreciated Nightingale. The next of my posts answered a question from a member of our group. Is the Nightingale and the Rose for children? This story is a fairy tale, so is it for children? Personally, I don't think so. I have shared it only with my 8th grade students, who are virtually adults. In general, my personal preference is that themes in art for children be commensurate with the scope of their own values and life experience. That is why I am not even a fan of Disney movies for small children. The ever-present elements of romantic love, separation from parents, grand-scale villains, tragic death, etc., are remote from the values of a child, beyond his understanding, and consequently often frightening. When my teens were toddlers, I preferred Blue's Clues to Bambi. Rather than suffering the death of a parent, the main character deals with problems like, I lost something in the backyard. Can you help me find it? I think the Nightingale and the Rose would have the power to devastate a child, and that he would not have the mature ability to put that devastation in its proper context. Finding beautiful, worthwhile works of art for children with age-appropriate themes is a real challenge, and I'm always looking for new works to stock my shelves at home and at school. So, if you have any recommendations, please send them my way. The last of my posts was called, Be Like the Nightingale, Not the Lizard. I've noticed that many people have difficulty giving themselves over to great literature characterized by idealism. There are countless philosophical, cultural, educational, and psychological explanations for this. It seems to me that in our time, to be intellectually serious is to mock and criticize, rather than to praise and revere. In school, we were trained to dissect literature into symbols, devices, and historical reflections, rather than to surrender to it and then contemplate its unique and powerful worldview. And to embrace and give in to a grand view of life is to make yourself vulnerable to disappointment and mockery and sorrow. That only begins to brush the surface of an explanation, but for now I want simply to observe that it is true and to caution against it. When I look for commentary on the works of literature I love, works which themselves are characterized by reverence, I often encounter that dismissive tone of mockery. Here's an example. A blogger at Tor.com, writing about the Nightingale and the Rose, had this to say about the Nightingale. Quote, to be fair, this is not, I must note, a very observant Nightingale. Not only does she fail to realize the young student's tendency towards overdramatics, or the girl's tendency to be ever so slightly superficial, but she, the nightingale that is, has also completely failed to realize the color of two of the three rose bushes in the garden where she has a nest and has been apparently living for some time. She also admits to barely knowing the student, even though she lives in his garden, and he seems to be the type who indulges in overdramatics in the garden on a frequent basis, 
so really she should. I'd love to feel sorry for this bird, but I can't help but think that her singing has addled her powers of perception just a touch." Unquote. This mocking condescension robs the story of its value. Wild means for you to sympathize with and feel the plight of the nightingale. She sings of love, and she believes, tragically, that she has found that love reflected in the tears of this boy. If we suddenly separate ourselves from this idealized, broad brushstroke painted, fairy tale of a story, and start analyzing whether the bird was being entirely observant or rational in her conclusion, we have utterly missed the point. The blogger is like the lizard, dismissing sincerity and values with a swish of the tail. Be like the nightingale, not the lizard.